everybody. It's Pastor Chad. Today is Sunday, November 14th, 2021. And believe it or not, I've actually uh, been preaching for the last two minutes and just looked up and realized that I had not gone live. So I will start again. Um, the, the title of the message today is All You Need is a Mustard Seed, and it's based on Matthew 13, 31 through 33. I decided to preach this today, and um, I'm going to continue with Galatians next week. Uh, the message that I'm working on for the next portion of Galatians just was not to the point where I was comfortable with it yet, so I wanted to continue to work on that. And this parable of the mustard seed and the leaven is one of my favorite uh, parables of Christ. So I wanted to go ahead and uh, preach on this today because like so many of the messages, uh, just God's word in general is so applicable and so helpful and comforting for the times in which we live. So let's pray and we will get into today's message. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we're able to gather together again at a distance brothers and sisters in Christ, and to learn of you, to learn of your word. And I pray that, Lord, that through this message, those that know you would be uh, edified and enriched by it. And those that are still lost in the world, that are still trying to find the light, that you might use this message to open their hearts to the truth that is only found in your word and the message of the gospel. And Lord, we just pray that it's all to your praise and your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so again, the title of the message is All You Need is a Mustard Seed. It's based on Matthew 13, 31 through 33. Uh, before we get into that, I just wanted to preface it with a few questions and points. Uh, in times like these, especially the last couple of years, we might wonder, how we can make a difference and push back against the darkness with light. How can one person make a difference? Can we actually do anything on our own that's going to make any great effect in the world? And what effect for good can we truly have? And then the other the next question would be, what will our legacy be? A bit of a, a bigger picture question. What legacy will we leave when we leave this earth when we die? What will what will last of us beyond our lives? And will our lives mean anything in an eternal sense? And I think these are really important questions because the point that I'm trying to get across today is the importance of everything we do in the right frame of mind and through the righteousness of Christ and with our heart in the right place. And I hope that's what you guys get out of this message today. And again, I want something else I want to look at is because this is one of the things we're really going to see. And we see these all through Christ's parables. And uh, if you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Beatitudes, we see them there. Uh, some of the paradoxes of Christianity, such as many of the last will be first. In a worldly sense, we want to always, everybody, we're taught that we're need, we need to strive to be number one. We need to be competitive. We need to outperform the next guy and always be first. But the Bible teaches us that many of the last will be first. Another one is that the meek will inherit the earth. That is completely contrary to everything that we're taught from a worldly perspective. Meekness is not uh, something that the world values 
and admires, but we're told in scripture that the meek will inherit the earth. The servant will be great. Jesus himself said, I came to serve, and he is the king of all creation. He is the creator. But we're taught in the Christian faith, faith that those who serve will be great rather than seeking to be served. If you lose your life, you will save it. That cannot make sense in a worldly context. If you lose your life, you will save it. The more you give, the more you are given. This is one of my favorite paradoxes of Christianity. The more you give, the more you are given. And the way one of the ways I look at this is the comparison between what I call God's economy of abundance versus the world's economy of scarcity. The world economy is based on basically scarcity and fear. There's not enough to go around, so you need to grab all that you can. And if you don't get enough, you need to fear that you may lack. And that's what drives the greed and the competitiveness and really the violence that goes on in this world and has gone on since the beginning of time. God's economy is exactly the opposite. In the world's economy, the fear also comes from the fact that we may use up the resources available to us. There is only so much to be had, so we need to get what we can of it because it, it it's based in scarcity. God's economy is based in abundance, and that is the truth of God's economy. And the interesting thing about that is the more you spend in God's economy, the more you have. The more you give, the more you get. The more you give, the more you are given. So it's a completely reverse economy from what the world understands. If you forget yourself, you will find yourself. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis's book. It's from the introduction uh, to his book, The Weight of Glory, uh, the introduction on page two. The gentleman who wrote the introduction is speaking of Lewis, and he says, certainly Lewis could write no great works until he was converted to Christianity in 1931, after which he ceased to take much interest in himself. Now, everybody knows who C.S. Lewis is. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, the Screwtape Letters, a brilliant author, um, one of the most loved Christian figures of, the, of, of recent times, just an amazing man of God and a very blessed writer. and. I just love this quote. Certainly Lewis could write no great works until he was converted to Christianity in 1931. Why? After which he ceased to take much interest in himself. Before that, he was engaged in ambition and a striving for success. He was trying to do something to use his talents in a way that were not glorifying God, that were more self-centered. And when he was able to get out of that and to stop taking interest in himself and to just do everything truly from the heart in his love for God, <clears throat> that's when his writing career took off. Another paradox, do little things to accomplish great things. And this is what uh, we're going to be moving more in. This is one of the points of today's message. <clears throat> Excuse me, do little things to accomplish great things. And I'm not referring to the many small steps required to reach a great accomplishment. 
anybody that's ever achieved anything realizes that you don't usually achieve anything meaningful by large steps, by attacking large chunks of it at one time. You achieve great accomplishments through small steps moving in the direction of that goal. But that's not what I'm talking about. Rather, I'm referring to the fact that great things that happen when we do small things through faith and love. And I'm talking about faith in the Lord and love for the Lord. Small things turn into uh, great things. Consider this. If the world functioned according to Christian principles, communism would not be considered and capitalism would be impossible. Now, what do I mean by that? I'll repeat that. If the world functioned according to Christian principles, communism would not be considered and capitalism would be impossible. What I'm trying to say here is communism is sold to the world, and we're seeing it very much in America right now, as a redistribution of wealth from those who have wealth to those who don't. And the way that it's pitched is those who have wealth probably have gained it through nefarious means. They're dishonest. They're crooks. So that money needs to be taken from them and redistributed to the masses who deserve it probably more than those who earned it, who have all the money. So they try to make the, the wealthy look like the bad guys and the masses look like they're starving and they need what the, what the wealthy have. So it needs to be redistributed throughout society. Now, it's one of those things that actually sounds like, yes, it could work. The problem is like so many uh, plans of mankind is you have human desire working in there. So really what ends up happening, and if you look at the history of communism, what you realize is when communism takes over, the wealth is redistributed but it's not redistributed to the masses. It's redistributed to a very few individuals who are behind basically the con job or the scam that they put in place to bring in communism. So you have very few in this, I guess you could say this ruling party who are massively wealthy, who have sold this lie to everyone. They've torn down the wealthy said that they're going to redistribute to the masses, which never happens. And then you basically just have massive poverty with a very uh, a very minute or small number of extremely wealthy rulers at the top. It's the epitome of worldly corruption. But the way that I'm using it in this context is communism wouldn't even be considered if the world functioned according to Christian principles because there would not need to be a redistribution of wealth. Now, what do I mean by capitalism would be impossible? The reason capitalism would be impossible is because we would not have a desire to constantly be in a state of competition with our fellow man. We would not be striving to gain wealth just for the sake of gaining wealth. And again, capitalism, in its cleanest definition, there's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's a brilliant system and way to run a society. But again, the problem with capitalism is the same thing as the problem with communism. They are both infected 
with sinful human desire. So capitalism, where we would hope that people work hard in order to provide a good living for their family and to give them financial security. And I guess the ideal uh, goal of that would be to where we, where we live in a state where we're not rich and becoming enslaved by our wealth, but on the other hand, we're not poor and being obsessed with our poverty because both are obsessed with money on both ends of that spectrum. But again, greed sets in, competition comes in, and you see much crime and debauchery and evil born from capitalism, just like you do from communism. And again, it goes, it both goes back to sinful desire. But if the world was run on Christian principles, the reason that communism would not be considered and capitalism would not be impossible is because we would care for our fellow neighbors. We would care for those around us. We would not even want to allow suffering of any kind. We would be more concerned with who is hungry in the world, who is starving in the world. Are the widows and orphans living comfortably? Are they being taken care of? There would be much more of a concern for others and less of a concern for ourselves, that self-forgetfulness, like I was referring to in the quote from C.S. Lewis. And so you would automatically have a society living at a much higher standard. It wouldn't be this ultra-wealthy standard like we see, you know, idolized on, on, in, in modern media. But it would be a very, I would say, probably a, a, a quite high level standard of living across the board if we existed and functioned according to Christian principles. So hopefully that, that makes my point. And you'll see how all this ties together as we move through this message today. So the purpose, the, the main purpose of the message today is to convey how much God can do in and through us if we plant, feed, water, and nurture. What God will do with even the smallest bit of faith and belief and love. What God can do with the little bit that we have to offer, basically. Because when we realize the holiness of God, the omniscience of God, the omnipotence of God, the sovereignty of God, and then we compare ourselves to that, we realize that our most concerted, passionate works are a drop in the bucket compared to God's grace. But what he takes and does with what we do is what matters. Matthew 13, 10 through 12 says, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Matthew 13, 35 says, This was to fill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So the main reason I wanted to share those two portions of Scripture is to just explain that Christ is using a parable here to teach us an extremely important lesson. And the, the amazing thing about this is where he says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, 
more will be given and he will have an abundance. So what this is telling us is, like I've taught before, those in Christ will see and, and hear and understand things that those of outside of Christ cannot. We have eyes to see and ears to hear. And then also what we have blessed, been blessed with, we will be blessed with more if we are using it to bless others. We will be given an abundance. So let's see how we do that. Let's look at Matthew 13, verses 31 through 33. If you guys want to turn in your Bibles, Matthew 13, 31 through 33. This is called the mustard seed and the leaven. It says, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it, when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour excuse me, till it was all leaven. So the mustard seed and the leaven. Now, one thing I want you to think about, we're at the end of 2021. And as we know, at the end of the year, people start planning their resolutions for the next year. And these may be inspiring for our 2022 resolutions. But the thing you have to understand is that most resolutions fail. Why? Because they are me-centered. People make a resolution to eat better so they lose weight, to go to the gym so they're healthier, uh, to reach a, a certain goal financially, whatever it is. But they tend to be quite me-centered. Colossians 3.17 says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So make your resolutions to the glory of God, and they will succeed. Proverbs 16, uh, 2 through 3 says, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. We may think what we're doing is pure in our own eyes, but the Lord is weighing the Spirit. He's weighing the reason why, what is the driving force that's causing us to do the things that we're doing? He's looking at our true inspiration for everything that we do. As these parables, as these parables show, uh, the next point I want to make is, as these parables, parables show, look at God's creation and you will see the gospel and lessons of the kingdom all around you. And that's one of the blessings that we have in the parables, because what they do is because Christ is using examples from the world to teach these eternal heavenly truths and the mystery of the gospel. They teach us that we can look at the world each day and we can see representations of Christ, of the gospel, of God's creation, of his mysterious plan of salvation in just about everything we see in nature. Have God's word in your heart and you will see it portrayed everywhere. You'll see it in the soil, the parable of the soils, in useful plants and the weeds that grow right next to them, the parable of the weeds and the tares, or the, 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 the wheat and the tares. In flowers blooming and unfolding into the sun's light. That's like the picture of a, a, a believer or an unbeliever dead in their sins and trespasses, and the light of the gospel shines upon them and they blossom 
and flower and bloom forth. We see it in seeds and leaven, like today's message will explain. We see it in trees, how the branches are dependent upon the trunk. The leaves are dependent upon the branches, but it all goes to the root, which is Christ. We see it in water. Christ is the life-sustaining water. We see it in rocks. He is the eternal rock of our salvation. We see it in rivers. He's a river of everlasting water and salvation. And we see it in the seasons. They remind us of the constant, through the constant rebirth that we see in the seasons of the rebirth that we have in Christ. Jesus shows us in the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven, the mysterious and powerful ways his kingdom grows through the gospel. The parables of the mustard seed and the leaven apply personally in our own hearts, in our own families, our workplaces, our churches, our communities, and out into the world so that you're going to see that 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 little mustard seed may begin in just our own personal hearts, but God will use it to affect have a massive effect on the world around us. Both parables represent progress, but in different ways. The mustard seed represents the growth growth of the gospel in the world, the leaven representing the transforming change the gospel makes in the heart of believers. So first of all, why did Christ use these two examples to make his point about the kingdom of heaven? Why did he use the mustard seed and leaven? Well, first of all, if you're not familiar with how, how big a mustard seed is, let's look at a picture of one. This is someone's finger. And as you see on the tip of their finger, they've got a mustard seed. I'll make the picture a little bit bigger here. So you can see how small a mustard seed is before it's planted. Planted, But the mustard seed, even as minuscule as it is, when planted in the soil and watered and nurtured, sprouts and becomes a large and magnificent tree. Let's look at a picture of a full-grown mustard tree. Look at how fascinating that is. This tree is so massive, it's covering, what, three or four buildings? It's huge from that tiny little seed. So now you see why the Lord used a mustard seed to share this message with us. And the thing that always fascinates me about these things is it's very possible and very plausible that the Lord created the mustard seed to become the mustard plant specifically for us to learn about the kingdom of heaven. This tree could have been created by God specifically for that purpose. Something really fascinating to think about. Consider what it is in the beginning compared to what it is in the end. The seed was so small that a bird might not even notice it, yet when grown, birds take shelter and make their homes in its branches. The gospel and the kingdom of God quite often appear to the world as minuscule and insignificant as a mustard seed. That's how the world wants the gospel to be viewed and considered. Mainstream media mostly portrays Christianity as silly and inconsequential. They like to sort of just brush it off as foolishness. We, we adhere to science. We're very serious about that. And Christianity really is antiquated. It's for the weak-minded. It's for those that are uh, 
that do not have self-confidence, so they need something to cling to. That, that's how the media likes to portray quite often Christianity. But that's not what Christianity is. What they don't understand is Christianity functions from the very small, becoming the unfathomably large. Consider this. During Jesus's incarnation, Rome controlled most of the world. Politics, commerce, religion, power struggles, current events would have seemed much more important than a homeless rabbi and his fellow and his few followers. And this is one of the reasons that I decided I was really going to spend more time each Sunday uh, delving deeper into the whole coronavirus hoax and the dangers of the vaccines and everything else. But really, it's very easy now to see that, the, that this whole thing is, is a hoax and the vaccines are extremely dangerous. It, you just have to look for the, the true information. But the reason I have not focused on that much more after over the last month or so is because really, if we focus on the gospel, if we focus on God's word, we're going to make it through whatever we need to make it through. And that's really what these points here are making. Again, during Jesus's incarnation, Rome controlled most of the world. Politics, commerce, religion, power struggles, current events would have seemed much more important than a homeless rabbi and his few followers. But because of that rabbi, the world has never been the same. Rome fell, but Christ lives on victoriously, and his church continues to turn the world upside down to this day. 1 John 2, 16 and 17 says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. As birds who never noticed a mustard seed may come to seek shelter in its branches when grown, so also many who take no notice of Christ and the gospel, who brush him off as insignificant, flee to him for shelter and protection when the storms begin to rage. There's a quote that's attributed to Dwight D. Eisenhower. I'm not sure he's the one that said it, but that quote is, there are no atheists in foxholes. What he was trying to get across is, for those who had experienced World War I and uh, any war, they understood that the fear and the horror was so prolific and reached such, the, such a level that people would never claim to be atheists in those situations because they needed God for the strength to deal with the fear and horror that they were engulfed in. That's what he was saying. We must come to the end of ourselves to come to the cross of Jesus Christ. And when people were put into those severe extremes of fear and horror, they came to the end of their own resources mentally and spiritually and they had to admit that there was a god and only his comfort would bring them through but we also must come to the end of ourselves to come to the cross of jesus christ atheism is born of pride arrogance and ignorance it's completely man-centered but Matthew 5, 3 says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit are those who would never dream 
of making the prideful statement that there is no God. Those who are poor in spirit realize that there is a God, and we have no right to think that we can even approach him in our sinful condition, that there is nothing in us deserving of being reconciled to him. Our spirits are impoverished, and we are dead in our sins and trespasses. That's the spiritual poverty that Christ is talking about in Matthew 5, 3. That's what he's referring to. Now, the leaven that Christ speaks of would have been a small piece of fermented dough from previous baking that was kneaded into a new batch of dough. So you picture a Jewish woman has this, this big ball of dough that she's made, and then she has a little bit of leaven from a previous baking, and she kneads that into the new batch of dough. And then that leaven would, in, would imperceptibly permeate, permeate the entire lump of dough, transforming it and then making it rise. So this little tiny bit of leaven would change the whole loaf or the whole lump of dough so that she could make the proper kind of bread. Now, one thing I want you to notice here, we saw the, the tiny seed becoming the massive tree. We visualize, I couldn't find a decent picture of leaven, so we visualize a small piece of leaven going into a big lump of dough and totally changing it. What do we have there? We have visuals that are being painted in our minds <clears throat> by these parables. And notice how the visual of the parables is easy for us to remember. That's the brilliance and the genius of the way Christ taught. We don't have to remember every single word in God's word if we remember the message. And he helps us remember the message by preaching it to us and blessing us with it through parables. Because you can remember these things. They help us grasp the beauty of the message that he's conveying. So just think of how powerful the visual of the parable, the visuals of the parables are. Just as leaven works in an unseen way, the work of the kingdom is hidden from view. You don't see the leaven once she puts it into the lump, but it's doing its work. It works from the inside out, just as the gospel does in the hearts of believers. 1 Peter 1.23 says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So how do we keep our hearts with all vigilance and plant that leaven in there that will completely transform all of us? Prayer, the study of God's word, communing with him, fellowship. That is how we add to that leaven, and that's how that leaven spreads within us, you see? And then from us, it will spread into those around us and affect the world. The Spirit changes hearts in mysterious ways that we cannot understand. Romans 11, 33 through 34 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? He works. Just think of God creating that tree out of that tiny seed, and that same, and the work that he does with leaven, and it's the same power that he works in us. Following Jesus is an adventure in faith. 
both in our own lives and in the lives of those the Lord leads us to. If we walk with the Lord faithfully, he will constantly amaze us. The Lord will do things in your life that you would have never dreamt of, never planned for, and never expected. Matthew 17, 20 says, For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Don't let anything hold back your faith. The power and work of God begin on the inside and may not manifest on the outside for a very long time. That's something we have to understand as well. The mustard tree we see in the picture didn't grow overnight. It took time. It took patience. It took waiting. We must have faith and wait upon the Lord. Remember the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven as we pray for those who seem blind and deaf to the gospel. We don't know how the gospel is working in them. God will do his work in mysterious and powerful ways. Mark 4, 26 through 27 says, And he said, The kingdom of God, as if a man should scatter seed on the ground, he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. He doesn't understand why it grows. He just knows that it does. We are planters. We plant the seed of the gospel, and God adds to it and multiplies it and makes it grow. I want to give you some examples of an actual individual who was very much leaven in the lives around her. And this goes way back to the, the 300s when the church was, was fresh and new uh, before the Catholic Church was corrupted. And it's uh, St. Augustine's mother. Her name was Monica. And I just want to share a couple um, uh, short paragraphs from Augustine's confessions. If you ever get a chance to read this book, I'm trying to get it so my screen will see it. Uh, it's a great book. And his mother had a great impact on him and others because she was a very faithful believer. First of all, I'm talking, I'm, I'm sharing about what he wrote about her effect that she had on her husband. It says when she attained full marriageable age, she was entrusted to a husband and she served him as her Lord, but she made it her business to win him for you by preaching you to him through her way of life. For by her conduct, you made her beautiful in her husband's eyes as a person to be respected, loved, and admired. So gently did she put up with his mar marital infidelities that no quarrel ever broke out between them on this score. For she looked to, show, to you to show him mercy, knowing that once he came to believe, he would become chaste. Although, although he was outstandingly generous, he was also hot-tempered, but she learned to offer him no resistance by deed or even by word when he was angry. She would wait for a favorable moment when she saw that his mood had changed and he was calm again, and then explain her action in case he had given way to wrath without due consideration. There were plenty of women married to husbands of gentler temper whose faces were badly disfigured by traces of blows who, while gossiping together, would complain about their husband's behavior. But she checked their talk, reminding them in what seemed to be a joking vein, but with serious import that from the time they had heard their, they had heard their marriage contracts read out, they had been in duty bound to consider these as legal documents which made slaves of them. In consequence, they ought to keep their subservient status in mind and not defy their masters. 
These other wives knew what a violent husband she had to put up with and were amazed that there had never been any rumor of Patricius striking his wife, nor the least evidence of his happening, nor even a day's domestic strife between the two of them. And in friendly talk, they sought an explanation. My mother would then instruct them in this plan of hers that I have outlined. Those who followed it found out its worth and were happy. Those who did not continued to be bullied and battered. By persevering in devoted service and by patience and gentleness, she won her mother-in-law over. So her mother-in-law became a believer through the way that she treated her husband. Eventually, she won even her husband for you. Toward the end of his life on earth, and she had no cause for complaint about anything in him after his baptism that she had tolerated in him while unbaptized. Moreover, she was the servant of your servants. Every one of them who knew her found ample reason to praise, honor, and love you as he sensed your presence in her heart, attested by the fruits of her holy way of life. Uh, Augustine writes this as if he's writing a prayer to the Lord. That's why he's he's, he's using you. Um and then the last one here. This is at the end of her life. She says, I guess she wrote him a letter and says, For my part, my son, I find pleasure no longer in anything this life holds. What I am doing here still, or why I tarry, I do not know. For all worldly hope has withered away from me. One thing only there was from for which I desired to linger a while in this life to see you a Catholic Christian before I died. Now, again, this was before Roman Catholicism had corrupted and become apostate and heretical Catholic. That word just means universal. It refers to the universal church. So if you are a true believer in the body of Christ, you are part of the Catholic church, but we don't use that term anymore because it's been identified so heavily with the corruptions and the heresy of the Roman Catholic Church, but this is when it was still the true church. Uh, well, on this life, to see you a Catholic Christian before I died, and this my God has granted to me more lavishly than I could have hoped, letting me see you even spurning earthly happiness to be his servant. What now keeps me here? She prayed fervently that Augustine would become a Christian. He lived a reprobate life. He was a drinker, a womanizer. He actually tried to run away from his mom at one point and left the country, and she followed him. Um, I forget where. Uh, but she had a profound effect on her husband, her mother-in-law, her son, and who knows how many others, because she just strived to be leaven in the midst of an unbelieving world and had a profound effect on it. So I just wanted to give you that real-world picture of what can be done if we strive to be Christ-like toward those in our lives. Now, the Lord continues to work in us after we are born again. He waters us. He feeds us. He nurtures us and prunes us. He brings us to blossom and uses us to carry the mustard seed of the gospel to others. When the gospel affects the heart, the whole being and life is changed. Psalm 119, 130 says, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. We will never be the same once Christ has come into us. Once he is abiding in us, he's made us a new creation. We will never be the same. Let the word feed and nurture you, and you will be trans transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.10 says, 
and have put on having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So consider the mustard seed and Jesus. How many really noticed his birth? How many really noticed his crucifixion? How many really paid any attention to where he was buried? How many really paid any attention to uneducated Galilean fishermen proclaiming the gospel? Yet Christ, born in the most humble and unremarkable circumstances, is the Savior of the world. His church, starting out in the world about as noticeable as a mustard seed, has become a beautiful tree with branches reaching out all over the world. His gospel, like leaven, has spread his life into the hearts of believers and on through them to those he continues to call. And I'll close with Psalm 92, 12 through 15. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are never, they are ever full of sap and green. To declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful uh, parable today, uh, Lord. And I know that I have not done it justice. There is so, uh, the message is so profound and so powerful that the words to explain it are lacking. But Lord, I pray that uh, you would open the hearts of everyone that hears this message and that you would speak to them through it, that you would enable their eyes and their ears to hear what I am incapable of of saying and showing. And Lord, just uh, be with each one of us in the coming week. Open doors of opportunity for the gospel, if it be your will. Help us to be uh, lights in the darkness and to shine with your light in everything that we do. And let us be mustard seeds and leaven in the world around us. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here today, folks. Uh, get a chance visit elephantwalk.net. We just got a, a huge new shipment of products from Kenya that came in last week. So we have a lot of new inventory, beautiful mugs, beautiful bowls, um, just a great selection that we have available. Uh, you can see everything at elephantwalk.net. If you type the way, all lowercase, no spaces between the letters at checkout, you receive 10% off. And like I've said before, the Elephant Walk business is part of the ministry, and we brought it about in an attempt to help support the work of the ministry here and in Kenya and all the other places that we are hoping to go, and the way and also the way radio podcast, which continues to grow. We're over 14, I got the update this morning, uh, 14,300 downloads in the last year on the way radio. So praise the Lord for that. So please visit elephantwalk.net. You can find us on the web at thewayr122.org. You can listen to the podcast. Each sermon is, uh, uh, the audio is put up as a podcast each week at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Just search for The Way Radio in the search field. You can find us on Rumble at The Way R 
122. And please consider donating. It's the end of the year. We really need a lot of help. We've had some new opportunities come up in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Pastor Patrick has an opportunity to uh, make his church more of a permanent dwelling. It's currently just made out of logs with metal covering. And uh, we need to raise the funds to help him make an actual permanent building for his church. And we're probably going to need a few thousand to do that. So I'm really excited to try to get that started because that's really going to be the place where we base our work in Kenya. He's located in Nairobi and we want to continue to expand the schools there. And like I said last week, I'm feeling the call to go back to Kenya as soon as possible. So I'm thinking maybe February, March of next year, if the Lord willing, I can get back and we can really dive into that work some more. But uh, I'm in contact with him constantly, as well as so many others that uh, we send we send sermon notes and teaching materials to in Kenya, and we also want to be able to purchase more Bibles. So please consider uh, blessing the ministry at the end of this year, as we are at the end of this year right now, by going to the wayr122.org and just going to the donate page. All right. Thank you so much for listening today, and I will be back same place, same time next week. God bless.